Kalnaka is a Wookiee Jedi. He is uh, just uh, taught in the ways of the Force, which has been a dream of mine ever since I was a kid. And uh, to get to play a character that can wield the Force is uh, beyond any of my uh, my dreams. And uh, I'm really happy to uh, for everyone to get to know him because uh, I purposely try to uh, differentiate him from uh, Chewbacca. Earthlings, and welcome to another edition of the Dagobah Dispatch Podcast. Coming your way this week, we'll get into some of those Star Wars Emmy nominations. Which ones are we most surprised and excited by? We will tell you. That is just the appetizer, because this week we have four, count them, four stars of the Acolyte joining us on the show. Jody Turner-Smith, Rebecca Henderson, Dean Charles Chapman, and Jonas Suatmo hung out with us before the big actor strike went down, and we have that interview ready to roll for you this week. And yes, there will be talk about the new Wookiee Jedi heading our way. Plus, how many miles would you walk in Darth Vader's shoes? That's on tap as well. We'll explain. I'm your cantina bartender, Dalton Ross. Figrin Dan cannot be here tonight, so leading the modal nodes will be the one and only, our maestro, Devin Kogan. What's going on, Devin? I'm doing well. I feel like I should break into a rendition of, of um, you know, the Cantina Band jam. You could. You do, could do, do it. Do, 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 do. There she goes. There not, she goes. Keep as, going. Don't stop. I'm not, I'm not quite <laughs> as, as as magnetic as, as Figral Dan, but but who could be? No, that's good. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> uh, I got to be honest. Things a little uh, too close for comfort here. I'm in the studio. Sammy Junio's here. I can't remember the last time we were both in the studio together. And Sammy moved from um, your coast to the best coast recently. Wow. And uh, I was very excited to have them here uh, with me, but uh, they've been avoiding me for some reason. <gasps> like, yeah, every time I would come in, Sammy wouldn't be here. Now Sammy's here, but uh, this is not exactly a spacious recording studio we're in. <laughs> like I had to make sure to pop a mint or two before we got in here. Yeah, our knees are touching. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. Alert of human resources. That may have just gone orange on our color wheel chart. I'm not sure whether it did or not. We'll have to check in with HR. But uh, but yeah, so we are here in full effect on the East Coast. Devin, you, as we record this, are moments away from uh, getting in your car and heading down to uh, Comic-Con. How are you feeling about that? I am. I am heading down. I'm driving down to San Diego later today um, to cover things for Entertainment Weekly. It's going to be a really weird year. Um, It's going to be really unusual and kind of unprecedented um, because of the actor strike and obviously the writer strike, which has been going on for a while. But but the big news is is the actor strike. And so a lot of what we usually cover at at San Diego Comic-Con, the big panels, big trailer announcements, that kind of stuff um, is not going to be happening this year. Uh, but there is a lot of other really cool stuff in the works. I'm really excited to just get to walk the con floor, see all the amazing um, cosplays, see all the amazing Star Wars cosplays. That's one of my favorites. Um, so although I still think the best I've ever seen was at Star Wars Celebration because it was just – when I when you go to – I don't know about you, Dalton, but when I go to a Comic-Con, I – 
look, I'm a nerd. I have a deep pop culture knowledge. I have seen a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of cosplay references I don't get. I don't, I don't know my anime very well. There's a couple, you know, things that I don't know very well. But when I went to Star Wars Celebration, I was like, I understand every single one of these references. I know what every single one of these costumes is. So um, I do love a Star Wars cosplay. So I'm very excited to see some of the, the f- cool things that people will have cooked up at San Diego this year. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, we were obviously Entertainment Weekly was going to have a giant presence out at Comic-Con like we always do. We have our big suite where all the stars yep. come to us right across the convention center. We do the big party of Comic-Con every year. Uh, but it started to, uh, you know, we started to, to to see which way the wind was blowing and, and that it was probably not going to happen. But uh, we will still have a presence there, uh, which is great news. And Devin will be part of that presence, which is great news for uh, all of us, because that means that she can report back to us next week and give us sort of an an eyes on uh, take on what this Comic-Con was like without any stars there and without a lot of not just the stars on screen, but the creatives, the the showrunners, the writers that that come up with this stuff will not be there as well. So curious what, what you what you get to take from the from that. And just well, I'm also really curious to see how the convention goers enjoy the experience. You know, put yourself in their shoes and you know nine months ago they made their reservation and they got their hotel rooms and they paid all this money for their flights and they started working on their costumes. Are, are they still going to enjoy the experience um, being out there? So very curious to see if you get a chance to talk to to some of those folks, what they what they think about the whole situation. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting year. And especially after Comic-Con has had a rough couple of years, obviously, during the height of the pandemic, um, it didn't happen. It pivoted to online. Um, so it's I, I'm really at a time when Comic-Con is kind of bigger than ever. It's it's kind of faced some big setbacks in recent years. So I'm curious to see kind of how things play out and, and kind of what what this year looks like. And and you're right, by the way, I went to my first celebration last year and like the cosplaying there was just so awesome and out of control. It's so and, good, like, right? And Star Wars the, fans are the best, and which is why we host a yeah, podcast totally. about it. <laughs> and that's the type of random stuff that you and I would actually know. Just some like two-bit character in one scene or some, you know, random expanded universe sort of character that you like, sort of walks by. You're like, oh, I know who that is. Like, it's awesome. It's great. Well, yeah. Anyway, hope you have uh, make the best of the situation and you can report back to us uh, next week on, on what, what you saw there. I also want to point out, speaking of geeky stuff, extending a little bit out of the, uh, the Star Wars lane, uh, Devin just wrote EW's amazing, or should I say marvelous, hey. <laughs> cover story <laughs> on uh, the Marvels coming out. And um, everyone should check it out. And it's real easy to find if you just go to like, EW's uh, Twitter feed. It's pinned right there at the top. You'll see our digital cover with all three stars on there, and you can click right on the link to get to Devin's cover story. Devin, just tell us a little bit about sort of reporting that out and writing that story. Oh, it was really fun. I mean, that is my other major beat at Entertainment Weekly is I I am the Marvel reporter. So I I do a lot of stuff um, on that. And this is something that's been in the works for a while. Um, You know, we we conducted all these interviews and started writing this story uh, before the start of the SAG after strike. But it was really fun. It's it's a preview and it's it's the first official preview. And for many cases, it's the first time a lot of these actors and and stars have talked about this movie. Um, But it's the first preview of the Marvels, which is the next Marvel movie coming out. It's uh, coming out in November. Um, and it unite. It's kind of a sequel to like nine different things. You've got Brie Larson back as um, as Carol Danvers. You've got Tiana Paris back as Monica Rambeau, who we saw 
as an adult in, in WandaVision. Um, and you've got Amon Villani as Miss Marvel, um, Kamala Khan. So who I is like one of probably my favorite Disney plus projects so far. I love that show. And if you haven't watched it, it is so delightful and you should check it out. Um, but it was really fun to get to talk to them about, you know, kind of, this bringing this movie to the screen because again it's like these are characters that we've kind of followed and known for a while but it's it's really cool to get to see them all interact some of my favorite comics of all time center on some of these heroes so i'm really excited to see this um come to the screen it's directed by nia DaCosta, who just did the Candyman reboot um but the most important piece of reporting i did on this story and the the story that i was most excited to chase down was we see the return of goose the cat aka the flurkin from from captain marvel um so everyone i talked to i was like tell me everything about working with the cat <laughs> and there were two main cat actors named uh nemo and tango uh who played goose and and there were a lot of kittens on set too who will play a role in the plot so that was the the story i was like tell me literally everything about the cat because i don't know if you guys know this about me but i like cats i have cats yeah. <laughs> i don't talk about them nearly enough so no one would ever have an idea that 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 is a true about me. My entire Instagram feed, other than people I follow, is all cat videos. Because like I, 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 I watch and forward so many of them. Uh, and my wife and I just forward cat videos to each other that then the stupid artificial intelligence just starts feeding me like cat videos constantly. And that, that's all. Because we have three cats as well. So we're, you know, this is the basis of Devin and my friendship is our love of felines. It's true. It's true. No, that's pretty much what most of my algorithms are. That's the only reason I'm still on and on still on the internet is just because because of cats. Well, so. we still don't have a solo cat. We've had a solo dog cover at Entertainment Weekly with Eddie from Frasier. And so it's still time. I was hoping Salem from Sabrina the Teenage Witch might get a yeah. get his own cover. He never did. Uh, but hopefully at some point, maybe uh, we'll get that going on. I've I've been pushing for a Goose solo cover so. for the Marvels. I'm so telling you. One of these days. I'm telling you. All right. Um, let's get into some Star Wars stuff. A, a, a real piece, a quick piece of house cleaning. Listen, I will give fair time where fair time is warranted. Uh, we've been making fun of Devin for her love of victory <laughs> celebration uh, because it sucks. Uh, and I'm not saying that Yub Nub is the best song ever, but when George Lucas went in his special edition for the Return of the Jedi and changed the last uh, music cue there for the end of that trilogy and took out Yub Nub and put in Victory Celebration, uh, it was a travesty. And then to turn travesty into tragedy, Devin then ranked Victory Celebration as one of the 15 best songs in any Star Wars property ever, which is just crazy, absolute crazy pants. I made fun of her. You all as a whole made fun of her as well. Um, well, she had <laughs> Not one- as a whole. <laughs> yes. Well, as a 99% whole, there's like one, one lone, lone voice out there that defended her. Well, uh, crack producer Sammy Junio, who, by the way, carries around two IDs on their belt. I, I, I saw them walking through the hallway and, and there's not, you know, like sometimes you have an ID and, and they put them on that. What is that stupid thing called that like, what do you call that? That thing that like, you know, you pull it out and then like you let it go and it snaps back. Oh yeah. It's like a retractable dog leash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sammy keeps not one, but two IDs that I don't even think work in New York. I have a feeling they only work out in Los Angeles, but still, I guess it's like a, I don't know, some sort of fashion statement, which we were supposed to talk about this week, Star Wars fashion statements, but that's going to be next week. Sammy, you want to defend yourself at all here before I move on? No, I, 
it's best you don't retractable dog leash was enough i i'm in a dog house right now Retractable Dog Leash is also the name of Sammy's new indie rock band, which is sort of interesting. Um, There you go. Please. (laughs) So speaking of Spotify, Sammy sends through a screenshot. So we got we have a lot of a lot of reviews and comments and stuff on um, on uh, the Apple podcast. But (laughs) we don't have a lot on Spotify. Um, But there is one comment, someone named Ellie, who may or may not be related to Devin. Sent in a message to us. So Ellie wrote, I'm Team Victory Celebration. I'm a second generation Star Wars fan. I grew up with Victory Celebration and I can't picture Return of the Jedi's ending with Yubnub, parentheses, if that's how you spell it. Vindication. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you for having my back. There we go. I don't know. I don't know if, if Ellie never says that it's better. Ellie just says, this is what I grew up with. And this I is can't what I'm used sure to. Return of the Jedi ending with Yubnub <laughs> is pretty pretty clearly a, a condemnation of, of Yubnub. I'm not sure Ellie's ever heard Yubnub. I mean, we played the clip, so I guess Ellie has, but I don't it's, know. It's no. This is this is vindication. This is a, I'm 100% team victory celebration. Also, I take umbrage with the, how you are misrepresenting the conversation about this because when this this episode first dropped, there were multiple tweets say that were team victory celebration that's not the way i remember it (laughs) wow okay Okay, revisionary history okay so we did we did a poll which last week we talked about devin's droid ranking right and who's the best and devin had ranked the best star wars movie droids uh ever and we went through that list uh last week and and debated and discussed so then we put the top five options on from Devin's top. Basically, we put Devin's. Well, actually, that's not true. These weren't just the top five because C-3PO was outside Devin's top five. <gasps> but it, we put C-3PO on the poll list. So we basically said, who's your favorite Star Wars movie droid of all time? And the, the options were R2-D2, C-3PO, K-2SO, BB-8, and L3-37. Uh, and you all voted. Uh, basically, D- Devin's number one droid was R2-D2. You all agreed 52.6% of the vote. Uh, correct answer. The correct answer. Uh, BB-8 was Devin's number two. Came in third place here with 15.8% of the vote. In third, in second place for Devin's second, pl- uh, sorry, second place on the poll was K2SO. <laughs> Sammy, I'll, I'm going to say that again. Wait, I'm going to Sammy, I'm going to say this again. After I say K2SO. Put like 30 air horns in. Like, just like, whenever you think it's too many air horns, just like add like another one. Just like whatever you think is too many, do that and add like one or maybe two more. Okay. So uh, they voted the second place droid K2SO. Womp womp. Be real, Dalton. Did you make multiple Spotify accounts I, I just voted, to no, rank this I did. Poll? I did vote once. I did vote once. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I did vote once, but uh, not multiple times. Uh, all right, and so uh, that was second place, and then fourth place in the poll was C three PO, and then L three thirty seven got zero votes. Zero oh, votes. Wow. Poor Phoebe Waller Bridge. Just a reminder: Devin put L three thirty seven as the. I think fourth best droid of all time. All I know is it was ahead of K2SO. That's all I know. Still mad about it. 
Dalton. That whole swear, cat thing so, I said, like, yeah, it was, like we have the cat thing, and then she ruins it with this by putting L three. Wow. Okay. This is this is getting hostile. Why would you this do is that? A, this is a slightly hostile Just, episode. I thought it was a hostile <laughs> ranking on your part. Okay. Ugh, fine. Just saying. Uh, anyway, I guess we'll have a poll there. Is that right, Sammy? Yep, Sammy's nine. We'll, we'll we'll have a poll on Spotify. If you want to listen to it on Spotify, you can go. Uh, Send us messages about victory celebration or, or vote on whatever we're going to ask you to vote on. Maybe it'll be about the Emmys. That's a segue because uh, the Emmys came out last week while I was off on vacation uh, and Devin was all over it. Uh, 22 nominations for Star Wars shows, uh, nine coming for The Mandalorian, eight nominations for Andor. Five nominations for Obi Wan Kenobi. Devin, let's get into it. What would tell me about like what you were excited about, what you were surprised by when these nominations came out? This is a big, big year for Star Wars at the Emmys. Um, you know, we the the Star Wars Disney Plus shows have had some success in the past. Um, the Mandalorian has done quite well at the Emmys. Um, Book of Boba Fett has gotten some nominations, but this is this is definitely the biggest year they have had so far. Um, the big highlights are, you know, there's a lot of below the line nominations. There's a lot of you know costumes and sound editing and, and things like that. But the but the big you know kind of top line um, nominations are that that uh, Andor got a nomination for Outstanding Drama Series across the board, which is an incredibly competitive category. Um, and Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, got a nod for Outstanding Limited Series, which I think um, a lot of people were surprised by, you know, that, that this that the show was able to squeeze in there. Um, Mandalorian had the most uh, with nine. Um, one of the ones that I was really excited about was that Andor specifically got a writing nomination for the episode One Way Out, which is the prison episode, the, the final prison episode with Andy Serkis. And I think most people would agree was one of the highlights of the first season. Um, there weren't any acting nominations, which I think some people were thinking that um, either probably Diego Luna or Stellan Skarsgård might be able to squeeze in on um, as far as Star Wars things go. Uh Star Wars actually has gotten acting Emmy nominations before, um, specifically in, I think it's either the guest, uh, uh, guest acting category or the, um, you know, supporting acting category, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Timothy Oliphant, and Carl Weathers have all gotten acting nominations for the, the Mandalorian before. So no acting nominations this year. Um, but some really, really big wins for, uh, you know, Andor getting in in Outstanding Drama Series and Obi-Wan Kenobi getting Outstanding Limited Series. So what did you make of these, Dalton? Like, you know, once you were back online and kind of following these, because it's it's a lot of nominations for Star Wars. Yeah. So um, I was, listen, I am an Obi-Wan Kenobi defender somewhat, because I feel like Hot some take. people really felt like really disappointed by that show. and. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to lump as if there was a consensus, but I, I know that there were some people oh, yeah. that, that, that definitely were. And I understand certain elements of the show may not have worked. And I kind of don't care. Like, because I was just like, it was so thrilling. Like, here's what I wanted. One great battle between Obi-Wan and Vader. And we got two. They gave us one in like episode three. I couldn't believe it. And then the best battle may not have involved Obi-Wan. It was maybe that Darth Vader Reva one, which I thought was great too. I understand not everything in the show worked, but then when they give us that flashback scene uh, between, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan training, like how cool was that? Uh, I, so I was kind of 
all in on Obi-Wan Kenobi, even the, even the parts that maybe didn't work great, even the parts where maybe it felt like it was treading a little water. Um, so all that said, being a, a fan of the show and some of the heights of the show, I was surprised that it got nominated in Outstanding Limited Series. But then I did a little digging, Devin, because there is a point where Outstanding Limited Series was even harder to get into than Outstanding Drama Series. Like, I can't remember what the, but yeah, all the Fargos were in there and everything was calling itself a limited series. Everything. And you had all the most prestigious shows were limited. And there's something where the drama series field was pretty weak. That's not really the case this year. There's some good shows in here, but it's not like a murderer's row lineup. The, the, the nominees were Beef, Dahmer, Daisy Jones and the Six, Fleischman is in trouble, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Fine, but, you know, some good shows in there, but like nothing like super crazy, like, you know, uh, critics were just falling all over themselves praising. So I think the, the, the quote-unquote weakness of the field, if you want to call it that, helped Obi-Wan Kenobi get in. But I was happy to see it get in. Uh, Andor, I don't think was a huge shock. I think, but it wasn't a slam dunk. It was going to get in. Right, Devin? I had that kind of as like on the, the bubble, right? Is that where you had it? Yeah, because um, again, The Mandalorian scored a drama series nod in yeah. the past. Um, and uh, But I will say that the uh, the field for outstanding drama series this year was very competitive. So the, the following, the rest of the nominees are um, Andor, Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, The Last of Us, Succession, The White Lotus, and Yellow Jackets. These are all a lot of very acclaimed shows. They're big Emmy shows. You know, Succession and White Lotus like got literally zillions of nominations across acting and every every possible category. Um, so, and it's considered one of the more prestigious uh, categories. Uh, so, for Andor to to squeeze in is is a really really cool thing. And I think most people were you know really really impressed by Andor's first season and what what it was able to do. Um, as far as like other categories, um, was thrilled to see, um, some music nominations for Nicholas Bratel, who did the music for Andor. We know I'm a big fan of, of him and, and the music on, on Andor. A lot of stunt nominations for The Mandalorian. Um, and again, lots of below the line nods for costumes, sound, visual effects, all those great categories. So, um, I'm really curious to see kind of once the Emmys rolled around, um, what that looks like. Also wanted to shout out, uh, it was a big year for Pedro Pascal, even though he didn't get any nomination, personal nominations for The Mandalorian, um, he got three individual nominations. Uh, he got a one for lead actor for The Last of Us, one for guest actor for his um, incredible appearance on Saturday Night Live. And um, he also got one for like best narrator. He narrated a CNN documentary called Patagonia. Um, so that was another one of the really big headlines to, to come out of, of this year's nominations where just big year for Pedro Pascal. He's, he's everywhere. Can you imagine if he'd gotten a nomination for The Mandalorian? Because then I think you really would have to ask the question, like, how much is he in that suit? Like, right? Like, how like how much was he really in there doing anything? Because we don't know. We know there's the, the two other folks that, that do a lot of time in the suit. And they always – the answers you get are always very vague in terms of how much he's actually in there, Kat, Devin. It's true. And especially for this season where I don't think he takes his helmet no. off at all this season. No, so I don't think it would yep. make make sense. But um, I will say uh, Latif Crowder. So the two main actors who play uh, the stunt actors who play the Mandalorian are um, Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne. Um, and Latif Crowder was one of the, the stunt nominations. Um, so he is Emmy nominated for that. Um, so 
again, and he's great. So, um, what if Pedro actually does the stunts? What if they just switch it and Pedro's like, you know what? Like, no one will let me do it. So, like, let's <laughs> just you can act your ass off and just let me do all the action stuff and let's not tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to see like a parent trap kind of situation yeah. where like they show up and they're like, "What are you talking about? It's me, and you can't tell because I'm under the helmet." <laughs> Uh, I, I, you mentioned the acting noms. So you mentioned that uh, Diego Luna was kind of out there a lot. And there were some thoughts that he might get one. Stellan Skarsgård with his space wigs. So great in that so show. Good. And and thought he might get one. I actually really thought Andy Serkis was going to get one. And I don't know whether he would have been, I guess, a guest actor. Because, you know, there's lead actor. There's supporting. Then there's like recurring. There's, then there's guest. I assume he would have been in the guest category. And, you know, we talked about how amazing... Uh, he he was in that show and we're actually we'll have Andy Circus for you here on the show um soon we spoke to Andy and uh and I'm that was one that really surprised me Devin that Andy Circus uh, for his prison factory arc was not in the mix he is so good and to me like the I, I really fell in love with Andor, but to me, that prison sequence, which is a, a couple episodes, is really what cemented it for me. And part of that was Andy Serkis's performance. I think he is extraordinary. His spoilers, but his his final line, I can't swim, is so heartbreaking and just a real twist of the knife. Um, and I think it's always just such a great reminder that we we sort of take Andy Serkis for granted. You know, he's he's been an actor who has been so acclaimed and so beloved for like the last 20 years. And obviously he's incredibly well known for his motion capture performances. Um, and he's been in the Star Wars universe before as, as Supreme Leader Snoke. Um, but I think we kind of take him for granted as when he's just giving a traditional performance without motion capture um, as how talented he is and how extraordinary he is. I remember when I spoke to him for Andor for the show, um, I asked, he's also a really incredible director. And I said, would you ever want to direct in the Star Wars universe? And he said, absolutely. If I will take anything they will give me. Um, so I would really love to see I, I hope we haven't seen the last of Andy Serkis in the Star Wars universe. Um, I mean, hey, we thought he was done after Snoke and he popped up again. Um, but I look, I'm a Lord of the Rings stan. I love Andy Serkis. I'm I even enjoyed Venom. Let there be carnage. You know, like I'm I'm never mad about more Andy Serkis in my life. Well, I'm uh, listen. I've already complained about this tiny studio, and I God, I hope the mic didn't pick this up. My stomach was just growling so loud, and <laughs> Sammy, who has huge giant you know uh headphones on to listen to the podcast to make sure the sound's okay even they like looked over at me like what the hell's going on over there <laughs> and it's just like it's a rumbling and tumbling there's lots of things uh, happening uh over here devin um so listen you spoke to to tony gilroy and diego luna um uh, and after the Emmy nominations came out, I guess for the, uh, the, the, for the show, um, this was, so this is interesting. This was what hours or a day before the, the SAG after strike yes. yet, yet Tony Gilroy was already on strike for WGA, I guess, but he did get on to talk to you about the Emmy nominations. Um, yeah, from my understanding that um, the way the strike rules work for the WGA is that, you know, writers could, writers could speak about it and he could speak about it in sort of like a general general way. And these were two separate interviews, you know, obviously conducted before the start of the SAG after strike. Um, 
but it was it was yeah it was really interesting to talk to them both it was it was kind of a it was an interesting year to do interviews after the emmy nominations because you know we do a lot of these interviews like the morning of the oscar nominations or the morning of the emmy nominations and everybody's usually really excited and the mood is really celebratory this was very much like people being like oh what's going to happen in the next 24 hours with the sag after strike and and there was a lot of like and and it was kind of a more muted celebratory tone. And, um, you know, talking to both of them, they were both really excited and so honored and had nothing but great things to say. They, they, you know, um, raved about obviously not just, you know, each other, but, you know, specifically the below the line performances and, and all the, you know, many hands that it takes to bring these shows to life and how, you know, especially like an outstanding drama series nomination, they were like, that's not just for us. That's for everybody. That's for, you know, the people making the droids, the people making costumes, you know, the transportation drivers, everyone who makes the show happen. But it also was a more muted response, you know, because I spoke to Tony about season two and he was like, look, I haven't been part of it since May 1st when the writer's strike happened. And it was really painful for me to walk away. And, and, you know, he's like, I, I hope that, um, the AMPTP reaches a deal very soon because I want to get back to work and I want to continue to work on this show that I love. Um, and Diego said something similarly. He was like, you know, I don't, he's like, I can't tell you as far as like, you know, release dates or anything for season two, because, you know, we're just, we're really concerned about, you know, um, you know, fighting for a fair contract and, you know, supporting both the writers and the actors. And, and that's what comes first. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, Tony said something like, you know, I, I really hope we reach a, you know, I hope that people come to their senses. And he's like, and when I say people, I specifically mean the companies. Um, so it was, it was just an interesting conversation. Um, and one of the things that they talked about was how specifically how interesting it was that One Way Out, that episode was nominated for Best Writing, because that is an episode about a union and a labor uprising and a prison uprising um, and how specifically for it to be nominated for writing and like that big speech that Andy Serkis gives um, it has a particular resonance at a time when, you know, the industry is talking about labor and talking about, um, you know, fighting for, for rights. So it's, it was just an interesting conversation just hours after the nominations were announced. Well, yeah. And so, you know, the, the shows hopefully should not be impacted. We know that Ahsoka's in the can. We know that, uh, same with Skeleton Crew, which are the next two shows coming up and, you know, working in post-production stuff, but that can happen while, while other people are are on strike. Luckily, just so you guys know, here on, on, our, on the podcast, we're pretty prepared for a while as well. We've got it. We, we knew this strike was uh, potentially coming. We've got a lot of interviews that we did before the deadline, uh, including our one that we're going to have for you a little bit later with some cast members from the Acolyte. So we still will have all these interviews coming up over the next month. Um, and uh, leading into uh, into Ahsoka, we've got some great coverage coming up there for you as well. Anything else you want to say about the strike and Star Wars, Devin? Uh, yeah. Just that I'm I'm really curious to see what happens, and I think it's you know solidarity with the actors and writers. You know, I I think they you you look at something like the Emmy nominations kind of bring it into focus at just how much effort goes into making these shows and how much this is really a labor of love. Um, for a lot of, of, you know, these creatives. And I think, you know, sometimes fans are like, oh man, I hope they just get back to work. And cause I want to see my favorite show like immediately. And it's like, no, they're really fighting for, um, you know, to, to be able to make these shows and to be able to, you know, make them safely and actually earn a living doing it. And so I, I, you know, I totally, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how the next, uh, you know, couple weeks play out and I hope they reach a deal very quickly. 
because they yes. deserve everything. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think a deal is going to be re- 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 uh, <laughs> no, quickly, I don't think but, so. you know, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. Uh, all right. Look, we have our, our interview coming up in just a minute with four of the stars of the Accolade. But uh, you brought a news story to our attention recently, Devin. Why don't you uh, tell everyone what you uh, what you saw? This is a very silly news story that I saw the other day. And I was like, oh, my God, we have to talk about this on the podcast. Um, there is a man in Death Valley, California, who he has set a personal journey, I guess, so that every year um, he goes on a run in Death Valley, which is believed to be the hottest place on earth, um, dressed as Darth Vader. He just decided that this was a thing that he wanted to do. <laughs> and so he started doing it every single year. So he just uh, ran a mile in Death Valley um, as, as the temperature was about 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Stop it. Um, Do we know his which, time, Devin? Uh, I, did they, did I, it they was clock a one him? mile. It was a one mile run, and the it was the it was 128 degrees Fahrenheit. Jeez. If he did under like um, 10 minutes, that's going to be really impressive. How old I is this guy? He's 52, um, and he's been running Death Valley since 1997, and he's just like weirdly obsessed with it. Um, and a few years ago, he decided he wanted to make the runs more difficult because he's a crazy person. And so mm. he's like, okay, I'm going to wear a mask and like all black clothing because that'll make it even trickier. So he said, I'm – so he remembered that parts of the Star Wars franchise were filmed in Death Valley. You know, those were some of the, the early Tatooine scenes. Um, so he was like, I'm going to dress up as Darth Vader. Um, apparently, it's a thing that he's done a couple times. Sometimes other runners have joined him. One time, somebody ran in a Chewbacca costume. Um, yeah. Here it is. He said his fastest time was last year when he ran a six-minute and 18-second mile. Stop it. This six year, minutes, 18 seconds in his 50s dressed mm-hmm. as – in. Like this isn't just black clothing, Devin. This is like armor. And I know he didn't have the full armor on, but you know what I mean. He's, he has the yeah, helmet but on, right? He has like, the helmet on. Yeah. So to do that's a crazy fast time. So he said this year he ran it in about ten years. He's recovering for or ten minutes. He's yeah, he's recovering. It would take me ten years to run. Yeah. It. Yeah. Right. Right. Ten minutes. This year better. he ran it in about ten minutes because he's recovering from an injury. Um, he said it was like a hair dryer was pointed down his throat as he tried to breathe. Um. And well, doesn't he have the Darth he, Vader like air filtration system going on no, to help him it's breathe? A Halloween like, mask. <laughs> Come on, you got to get that Vader technology working. But oh anyway, he's like, it's a fantastic thing to bring a tiny little bit of wonder back into someone's life. Um, so you know what? Good for him. Uh, I think he's crazy and should be committed. But you know, <laughs> I mean, just wearing, what, a, what a weird story. Yeah, just wearing the black alone is crazy. I mean, just like in that sort of heat, and I don't know what the sun was like that day, but just just having black on much less black armor and like a big bulky black helmet and the full cape too. He's got a cape and everything. I've seen people like you'll you'll see like a 5K sometimes people dressing up and I went to a relay race out in Montana some like 250 mile relay race where there's one team and they were all dressing up like Forrest Gump you know they had like fake yeah. beards and like that but that like thematically fit and it wasn't like a giant piece of black armor that they had on their body I mean that is like respect question mark I don't know like I don't I don't know what like, to make Right, that. like you couldn't pay me to go running in a Darth Vader outfit when it was like 60 degrees outside, no. let alone when it's 128 degrees in Death Valley in July. Does it carry a <laughs> lightsaber? Uh no, not to my no, knowledge, but no. I think that should be that should be the next thing. No. 
Wow. I think so. So anyway, it's a really great story. I read it on the Washington Post. I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Wow. So um, power to this guy. Um, that's amazing. All right. Um, so we were going to talk about we were going to talk about some of our favorite Star Wars outfits this week, but there was some confusion behind the scenes, and that's not happening. Uh, but we're going to do that next week. Um, but I will tell you this: judging by what I saw play in the teaser they showed at Star Wars Celebration, we are going to see some pretty cool outfits on the Acolyte, and we had a chance before the actors strike started to sit down with four of the people who will be wearing those outfits. Acolyte stars Jody Turner-Smith, Rebecca Henderson, Dean Charles Chapman, and Jonas Suatomo. Stop by the show and we've got that conversation for you coming up right after this quick break. This is this is old hat for Jonas here, but it, it, he's been to this rodeo before. But uh, what is it like for the rest of you to uh, be part of the Star Wars galaxy? Incredible. Being a part of the Star Wars galaxy is a dream come true. I've been a fan since I've been a kid. Um, and getting the call that I got the part was a very uh, special moment. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> the energy of today was just so mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, I knew... I understood that Star Wars was a big deal. I mean, you can't walk down the street without seeing somebody in a Star Wars t-shirt. It's just everywhere. But, um, you know, that first day on set, it started to all come together. And then being here today was um, the energy of the fans. I was so nervous at the top of the day. And, yeah, it was just, it was incredible. It's incredible to be a part of the universe. What about for you, that first day on set, Jody, and getting into this world and everything? Yes. Wow. Uh, that first day on set. I mean, as you're like getting ready to have your first day on set, just like getting into the costumes, doing the hair and makeup tests, everything. And then when you put it all together and walk onto those sets, those intricately made, painstakingly created sets, um, hand painted massive backdrops and, you know, creatures that are practical and so interesting and it it's just surreal i think surreal is really the best way to describe it and it wasn't until really today when you get you know i think a lot of times in our job we don't get the energy that you get in a room like this one at this celebration you know you make something and you hope that someone's gonna watch it but here you have an audience that is so loving and so kind. And, you know, I think I was so nervous too at the beginning of the day. And honestly, the best parts of the day were the ones when we were out there with the fans. I mean, they really make this whole thing. This isn't the best part of the day right now. Close second. But you need to cheer more and yeah. like wave at me. Scream. And wave so like, I don't, I'm not feeling the love. So I think that's really that's really on you, you know what I mean? Yeah. That you're not you're not giving that. Right, well, let, me, let me throw some love at Jonas. Uh, Jonas, you got to be on stage in character. Uh, what can you tell us about Kalneka? Kalnaka is a Wookiee Jedi. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own cheerleader. He brings his, he brings his own, own fan energy. And uh, he is uh, just uh, taught in the ways of the Force, which is, has been a dream of mine ever since I was a kid. And uh, to get to play a character that's uh, been, uh, can wield the Force is uh, 
beyond any of my uh, my dreams. And uh, I'm really happy to uh, for everyone to get to know him because uh, I purposely tried to uh, differentiate him from uh, Chewbacca. And uh, and uh, well, the, being a Jedi helps, but there's more to that. And uh, let's see uh, when when the acolyte comes, this mystery thriller, uh, how how I uh, fared. I was going to ask about that because you you spent all this time learning how to play a Wookiee, but now you're playing a Wookiee, but a different Wookiee. So how did you have to sort of calibrate the personality of this? different creature yeah that was the that was the challenge and uh well uh, i haven't seen uh, footage of how well i did <laughs> so <laughs> i can't uh <laughs> but but uh, it, it entailed like all the uh training and 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 getting ready with with my castmates and we had such a fun time uh preparing for these roles and there was a lot of time to think uh, how, wh- how to approach each uh situation and, and moment you did amazing, sweetie. Well, oh. thank you so much. Yeah. You have another so cheerleader much. right there. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get a... I know we get into a tricky, inf- tricky uh, situation here, but just what can the rest of you say mm-hmm. about your characters? Saw some footage there in the, in the trailer. What can you say about each of them? Um, I specifically can't say too much about my character other than the fact that he's a Jedi, um, which I can finally tick that off the bucket list. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I play an elder Jedi master who's very powerful and uh, uh, Miri Allen. Jody. <laughs> I also play a powerful person. Um... I, I am not a Jedi, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm not a Sith either, um, but I do get to use the Force. So that's pretty cool. Also on my bucket list. Yeah, yeah. the Force. The Force is with me. <laughs> Always. <laughs> See what I did there. Uh, I was asking some of the other Force users in your cast if they ever try in real life use the Force and they were all like, oh yeah, like totally. I'll try to like do Force pushes and this, that. Any of you guys ever try and do that? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every, say, every, not really. <laughs> oh yeah. Every day. And yeah. It never works. I try to force choke my husband when he leaves the toilet seat up, but it doesn't really seem to work. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I like automatic doors when they open, you know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. But it's not really the force. Yeah, well, it's close enough. As <laughs> close as we can get yes. uh, this day and age. Uh, but but I know the the, the fight scenes and the, uh, were a huge thing for this show. I know very sort of martial arts influence. What can you guys tell me about that and the fight training you guys got to do and everything? Yeah, we, we did some training. Um, a few of the cast got together and a few weeks before we started shooting, we got to handle the uh, some lightsabers if we had one and... Um, we also did some, um, what do they call it, body language, you know, with the false, false lessons. Mm-hmm. Force uh, training. False training is the correct term. <laughs> um, so, yeah, really good fun. And uh, the stunt team was the same that we had in, in Solo, and they've done so many good, great action films, Kingsman and whatever. whatever. And uh, Guillermo and, and uh, Mark, their team, uh, it was really fun to come back and work with them because I haven't worked with them in Solo and they just uh, they know what they're doing when they're choreographing these things. So it was uh, I felt really uh, confident that it was going to be uh, gold. When I see the cast and I watch the footage for the show, Ray, the thing that really leaps out to me is like this is 
easily, I think, the most diverse cat and inclusive cast I've ever seen in Star Wars. Is that something you guys noticed or talked about on set? That was definitely something I noticed and was really excited about and was one of the reasons um, that I chose to step into the world um, because I was so excited about that. And and I also really loved that, you know, I feel that our show was much more woman-centered than um, what I have previously seen in in the Star Wars world, just from the fact that, you know, our showrunner, our amazing, incredible showrunner, uh, Leslie, is a genius woman and, you know, female producers and, and you know, having Amandla be the person who's leading our cast. Um, it was like a very cool, I thought, way into this universe in a way that I feel that people have never necessarily seen before other than now they're going to see uh, Rosario do an amazing woman-centered show as well but mm. yeah I feel like we are part of a wave of uh, more inclusive and 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 more beautifully represented uh, Star Wars shows so yeah mm -hmm. that, that felt really cool and, and I I felt the importance of that. And then it also felt always on set, especially in, in, with, in some of the stuff that I got to do where everyone, you know, really was excited about, you know, what, what they were seeing and what that would maybe mean for, for different fans, fans that don't necessarily look like what you normally think like the traditional Star Wars fan looks like. Because if there's anything that I learned from this show, it's that, you know, the, the Star Wars fan is buried Rebecca what's it like watching Leslie work on a Star Wars project she's clearly a super nerd when it comes to Star Wars and so what's yeah. it like watching her on this as opposed to other movies or TV shows she's done? watching Leslie work on this has been very emotional I mean I cried several times today but because this process has been so long I think that's one of the differences of seeing her on other projects because it's been years you know several three years I think since she came up with the idea pitched the idea you know, we're still shooting and then being here today. So it's been um, incredibly moving. And her excitement and energy for it doesn't stop. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And on that, we will stop because you guys need to go. So I appreciate <laughs> the so time. Much. I can't wait. It looks awesome. I can't uh, wait to see it. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks. We're excited. Thank Our thanks to Jody Turner-Smith, Rebecca Henderson, Dean Charles Chapman, and Jonas Suatmo for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out as well. If you have just 30 seconds, please follow, rate, and review the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll even give you a shout out right here on the pod. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.